name of the Holy and Undivided Trinity. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to All Saints. I think I speak for several of us here to say that um, those of us who went to diocesan council over the weekend uh, were inspired by it, were taught by it, learned a lot, and are very tired right now. Uh, it was a good weekend, and in spite of being reduced by one day, it still felt like a long day. Part of it is, and I'm sure you can understand this if you've ever been to a convention of any kind, they put all the reports at the end. And I'm going to just cover the microphone here and say, not all the reports are interesting. <laughs> but I bet, you, I bet you guessed that. Now, one of the things they did, they started the, the second day, the business day, the business session of the meeting, with a Bible study exercise. Um, it's in a form that sometimes gets called um, uh, base community Bible study or Lectio Divina or African Bible study. I bet you've done it before in some context where you, you read a passage of scripture um, and then everybody uh, in the group says what word or phrase jumped out at them and then there are other uh, re-readings and you have other questions. Um, some people have done that, I know. Um, it's it's uh, it's a not uncommon method of doing Bible study. It's a way of trying to tease out what God is actually saying to you. And we had, I think um, Ed would certainly agree, and I suspect Brian would, that we had a very long reading we had to look at. It was from Hebrews 12. Um, it was very interesting. I have to be honest, I'm not sure that I had ever really studied Hebrews 12 except for the very beginning part. It's the part I bet you've heard before. <clears throat> Excuse me, it starts with a therefore clause. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that, sing, that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And there are a couple of other therefore clauses in there, but that's the, that's the first one. It starts with the working assumption that we have received and inherited the kingdom of God and that it matters. And therefore, the, the therefore clause is the important part. Now, I just want to test something with you on the gospel reading we just heard. Now, no fair cheating and looking down at your bulletin to reread the gospel real quick. But how many people in this room can remember, I, this is not a test, I'm not looking to make anybody look bad, but can anybody remember any particular word or phrase from the gospel reading this morning that jumped out at you? Let your light shine. Let your light shine. I heard that. What else? Salt. Salt. What, what specifically? You are the salt of the earth. Now, I lied. I did have a right answer in mind, and that's it. You... <laughs> You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The light of the world. These are not meaningless words. This is a powerful idea, and it's great. It is, it's the part of um, liberal Christianity that the Episcopal Church is definitely a part of. Liberal, not necessarily in terms of politics, maybe sometimes, but um, uh, liberal in other ways. Liberal understanding of the way that grace works, for example. Um, one of the strengths of liberal Christianity is also, in my humble opinion, its weakness. And that is 
that we are quick to say that the grace of God is absolute, that we are, as the Lutherans would say, we are justified by faith and not by our works. There is nothing we can do to earn God's love. God gives that as a free grace. And all of us are equally entitled to that grace and will receive it. You are, without condition, the light of the world, full stop. But the part that liberal Christianity forgets is the therefore clause. We receive that grace for nothing, but it is absolutely expected of us that we respond to that grace, that we live a new life, that we live a resurrection life. We can't do anything to earn that grace, but we can sure squander it. And many a Christian does. Let's not fall into that trap. You're the light of the world, but our readings, there are so many readings in here that are so rich. I actually, I promise I won't recommend this every Sunday, but this is one of those where you might want to take the bulletin home with you for the purpose of rereading these and just studying them and listening for what God might be saying to you because there are more rich stories and more important wisdom in these readings today than I can possibly preach. Now, there was a time when uh, shortly out of seminary, I would have attempted to preach every single one of them. <clears throat> Fortunately, I'm a little older now, so I won't do that. I do want to go for what I think is at the core. And again, it's that 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 idea of how we are going to respond to the good news of Jesus and to the grace that we receive. So I put an article in the, uh, in the bulletin recently, or in the, in the newsletter, um, Saints Alive. I'm sorry, I can never remember the name of it. Saints Alive goes out, has a blurb from the rector. And I wrote about the season of Epiphany, because I think that even though we have uh, a fairly good working knowledge of the, the common understanding of what is an epiphany. If I told you I had an epiphany, you have an idea what I mean. But when it, as it applies to church, I think this is probably one of the least understood uh, seasons or, or holidays in our church. What is the epiphany of our Lord? What does that actually mean? What is it? We're in the green season. It's the fifth Sunday after epiphany. After what? Well, it's a little abstract. An epiphany is an awakening, an epiphany is, is a revelation, an epiphany is a, a realization of something profound that really matters. And so it begins and ends with this bookend story about God, in, in as plain spoken a way as possible, spells out the message for us. The first Sunday after epiphany, when we did baptism, we remembered the baptism of Jesus. And on that day, we remember that Jesus went with John the Baptist into the River Jordan and was baptized. And when that happens, the gospel says that the, the heavens open up. Sometimes they talk about it as the, the clouds uh, separating. Sometimes they talk about it as the sky separates. People in that age had this this cosmology, a view of the world, that there was a dome over the earth and heaven was over that, the blue part we see, that's the dome. And they thought you could just rip it open and, you, and then heaven would spill out, literally. And that's what they 
that's their conception of what was happening at the baptism of Jesus, that the, that barrier between heaven and earth opened. And the epiphany, the, the, the realization of who Jesus is, spilled out in the form of the voice of God the Father who said, this is my son, my beloved. This is my son, my beloved. And whatever they meant by this metaphor, they said that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. So you got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all there. Everybody's front and center. And God says, the voice of the Father, we don't often hear, said the most critical epiphany there is, this is my Son, my beloved. And I said it was a bookend because on the last Sunday after Epiphany, anybody care to take a guess what gospel reading we'll have on February 23rd, the last Sunday after Epiphany? Anybody know? You do. Good for you. Let's hear it. I'm guessing, not knowing. Tell me. Uh, no, we had that last week. But it's a good guess. That, that's, that's definitely an epi Epiphany reading. Transfiguration. The Transfiguration. Thank you. Now remember this one? This is when Jesus, James, and John, this will be in two weeks, they go up on the mountain, and they're going to pray, and what happens? The sky opens up, the voice of God comes out, and guess what God says? This is my son, my beloved. Now, if you really want to get ahead of yourself, go look it up and see what else the Father says, because he adds something. You'll find out in two weeks if you don't look it up, but he's gonna, I'm not going to tell you yet. But he adds something, and it's important. It's part of that epiphany. Now, here's the danger, and I think we studied this yesterday in our, uh, in our Bible study because it was from Hebrews and it was that therefore clause about here's what you need to do about it. God may give these gifts freely, but God expects them, us to act on them. God expects us to pick them up comprehend them and take action. So go to the first reading. It's okay to peek this time. Go look at the very first reading we hear from the book of Isaiah. This is Isaiah writing to the Jews while they're in exile. And he's saying, shout out, do not hold back. Lift your, up your voice like a trumpet and announce to my people their rebellion. In other words, they're not getting it right. Now you can read this as just a, a screed, you know, that he's, that he's angry. And in a sense, he is. God is frustrated. And he's talking about the way that we make sacrifices and the way that we give our offerings. And he says, um, this is not good enough. He says, you serve your own interest and you oppress all your workers. You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist such fasting as you do today will not make your verse, voice heard on high. In other words, I have given you this great gift. You are not responding to it. What does he want us to do later in the same reading? Loose the bonds of injustice. Undo the thongs of the yoke. Let the oppressed go free. Break every yoke. Share your bread with the hungry. Bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, cover them. Then, 
And here's the expression again that ties back to the gospel. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn. You may be the light of the world, but no one will know it until you and I and all of us respond to the kingdom of heaven. The terrifying thing is we have an option not to. It is possible for us to be completely blasé about the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven, about the gifts that we're given right here at All Saints, and just say, gosh, I hope it's a good sermon today. Gosh, I hope the, me the music is pretty. I hope it's a, a sacrifice worth getting out of bed for. Well, maybe to us. But if we want to do something that is going to respond to the gospel, we're going to have to pay attention. Which takes me to the second thing I want to say. How are we going to pay attention? What does that look like when we're Christians? Well, in the interest of not being here all day, I'm just going to skip ahead to the answer here and tell you that it starts with simply paying attention, simply being alert. All through the Advent season, we heard, stay awake, prepare, be watchful. Pay attention to the signs that God is putting in front of us. And for that, let me tell you as your priest, you get an A+. I have been amazed and delighted by your willingness to engage, by your willingness to pay attention, to watch for the signs of what God is doing. Be pleased with yourselves for that. You have a lot to be proud of. You are, no doubt, the light of the world. But there's more. There's more. Psalm 119 says, I will walk at liberty because I keep your commandments. The liberty comes, the liberty is given to us, but we walk in it because we choose to follow the will of God. Grace and commandment come at the same time. Grace, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And at the same time, the commandment, the therefore clause. Therefore, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. How do we know when our light is shining the way God wants us to? Well, if we did longer readings, you'd know uh, that right before we had this gospel, we had the Beatitudes, Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and the reviled and the persecuted. That's when you know. You do those things. You are those things. You are the light of the world. And that path forward is revealed in the spiritual discipline of discernment. Now, discernment is one of those words, I'm afraid, that gets some, um, it gets used in the church as a euphemism. It's a, it's a churchy word for focus group. Well, I'm going to discern whether I should have a Diet Coke today. <laughs> I think I'm going to pull together a few people to help me discern whether I need a haircut. 
And we throw it around, but we don't take it seriously for what it actually is. Let me tell you in a nutshell, it is being open as the body of Christ because true discernment is never an individual proposition, ever. It's a way of, of testing our understanding of the will, in God, will of God by listening for it together. Let me give you a metaphor that, that always works for me. I don't know if it works for you, but I, it works for me. So if you ever go out into a national forest and you see how beautiful they are and you see the, the towers that they have that are fire towers, they're watching for fires. And the reason they have so many, they could just have one tower, right? If it's a small forest, maybe you could see the whole thing from one tower. The flaw in that is that from your tower, I'm up, up on a tower right now, I can see exactly what direction each one of you is from me. But if I had to guess how far you are from me, it's a guess. So you put up more than one tower, and you triangulate, and you don't really know the truth until more than one tower gets a look and says, well, from my point of view, it looks like this. From another person's point of view, it looks like this. From another, it looks still like this. And when you put that information together, that's when you have a good inkling. If, you'd in, if you've invited God's Spirit to direct your work, you have a very good inkling that it's going to work. And that's discernment. That's the next step that I think All Saints needs to take. Brian and his, his folks are working already on the new rector search teams that need to be in place. My job as the interim rector is to keep us as, as alert and prayerful and mindful of the will of God as possible. So this is going to be my work for a good while going forward, this issue of discernment. The psalm says, my soul is a thirst, a thirst for the living God. When shall I come to appear before the presence of God, because if we're spiritually hungry, that's what we want to know. And 1 John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. There's the grace. We just are. What we will be has not yet been revealed. And there's the discernment. What we do know is this, he says, when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. In today's epistle, Paul writes both about the deep yearning to know God and the key to it all. What no eye has seen, he writes, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us, there's the epiphany, through the Spirit. And again, back to the discernment. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. I would add even the depths of us and our pain and our shame and our failures. God knows it all and reveals it in love. For what human being, Paul writes, knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within so also no one compre uh, comprehends what is truly God's except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, 
but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gift bestowed on us by God. And if we pay attention to that as a congregation, you cannot fail in your call of a new rector and in your own ongoing ministry. God said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. And you and I, in this transition time, are walking on holy ground with salt on our feet, wondering why we're here and what our lives are for. And these are holy questions to ask. And the living God is itching for us to be still and silent long enough that God can reveal it all to us. And the most important work we can do is that listening together to discern the will of the living God through prayer, silence, listening, and expectation. Well, that's just a start. Let's pray for that start. I want to invite you to find your prayer book. It's the red book. We don't pull it out too often anymore. The red book with the cross on the front. That's the prayer book. And let's turn to page 231. Page 231. These are the collects of the day that we read every day at the beginning of the Eucharist. And we're looking for the one that's proper 10. It's used in July. Proper 10 on page 231. And in July, we'll be praying that prayer together at the, at the beginning of our Eucharist. Let's say it together now. O Lord, mercifully receive the prayers of your people who call upon you. And grant that they may know and understand what things they ought to do. And also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You are the light of the world. And that is not a light thing. What are we going to do about it? Amen.